are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So tonight we have transferred a feast day known as Holy Cross Day from Thursday, September 14th back to tonight. Shifting a feast day around like that is something I I haven't often done. So I'll get to the reason as to why it made a good deal of sense for tonight. But first of all, what in heaven's name is Holy Cross Day? Where did it come from? Is it ancient or modern? What, What is it? It's ancient. When the Roman Emperor Constantine shifted the empire's understanding of Christianity in the year 313 with something called the Edict of Milan. It was a legal mandate that called for the cessation of all persecution of Christians in the empire. A massive shift was made in the life of the church. The Emperor Constantine's mother, Helena, seems to have become a Christian around this same time. And during a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, was widely believed to have discovered both the empty tomb and the true cross of Christ. According to tradition, the discovery was made on September 14th in the year 330. Though, of course, whether she had discovered the actual tomb, or even more curiously, the true cross, well, it's rather unlikely still. The story became important in the life of the quickly expanding church. And from as early as the 600s, the church was commemorating September 14th as the Feast of the Holy Cross. So it is ancient. And all the potentially legendary bits aside, this major feast of the church reminds us to boast in nothing except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, as an article in the international magazine, The Anglican Compass, phrases it. The day has value. But, in all honesty, The reason I decided to mark this feast day is on account of the reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which is then fittingly accompanied by that brief gospel reading from the third chapter of John. On this evening, when I have the privilege of preaching one final sermon in my 20 years with this community, I can think of no more fitting text than what Robin read from 1 Corinthians. Listen again to some of what tonight's reading from that letter contained. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation, the foolishness of preaching, to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs, Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, God's weakness stronger than human strength. Because human wisdom, our sort of wisdom, on its own couldn't batter its way through to God, God determined through the foolishness of our preaching to build a bridge. This is Paul calling his own proclamation, his own preaching, foolishness. Because at heart, Paul is preaching Christ crucified, a total stumbling block to the Jewish mind. A Messiah can't be killed. And sheer folly to Gentile thought, specifically to Greek philosophical thought. But, and that but is absolutely crucial in what Paul writes, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, God's weakness stronger than human strength. God's folly. That's the point I want to make. And to make it with the help of a thinker who has very deeply impacted my own thought, my own theology, and most of all, my own preaching these many years. Anyone who has sat in these pews more than once or twice will know of whom I speak, Robert Ferrer Capon. For my money, Robert writes, for my money, the root of preaching for our time remains what it was for Paul, a passion for the passion. Like him, those who stand up to preach in the church must decide to forget everything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. However macabre that may seem to hold up death and not life, as the instrument of salvation, any other proclamation than this is rootless and withered. However foolish or weak such preaching may sound, it celebrates the only wisdom or power that has anything to do with the desperate case of the human race. And isn't that a heck of a statement? Now, I have been ordained for over 36 years. And I've been preaching here in the context of St. Benedict's Table for the last 20. My first sermon ever was actually preached in a wee little Anglican parish in Ear Falls, Ontario, in Advent 1982, when I was still a university student and a good friend of mine had begun to serve as parish priest. So. When you roll that 1982 sermon in with the various sermons I was called to preach during my theological studies and field placements, that means I've been entrusted with this task 
for over 40 years. And I do hope that I've done it well, or at least foolishly, as Robert Capon and St. Paul would have it. Some 30 years ago, after hearing me preach, my colleague, David Whittacombe, who's actually with us tonight, David commented that at some point any preacher worth his or her salt has to decide whether they're going to preach justification or sanctification. Sanctification preaching concentrates on holiness, on being transformed by the Spirit of God, which is certainly not an iniquitous place to put one's attention. Justification preaching, on the other hand, is where I have landed. And that's all about the audacity of grace, about God's foolishness being wiser than anything we can generate, God's weakness being stronger than anything we can muster. It is a surrender to the wonder and splendor of what St. Paul dares to write in this opening section of his epistle to a very troubled and splintered Corinthian church community. It's a community that he will press very firmly to clean up their messes. Its prejudices must be set aside. Its divisions must be healed. And they needed to do all of that in light of God's folly. You, he keeps writing to them, you Corinthians, you're the beloved of God. You have a freedom you've never dreamed of before you were swept up in Christ. You are being formed and shaped by that which your neighbors in Corinth, your gen, you know, pagan neighbors in Corinth imagine as being sheer folly. You are meant to be one body, a unified people fueled by grace given to you freely. And for the love of God and the sake of Jesus Christ, will you get on with it already? That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. It would seem from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, as well as from the letter of Clement to the church in Corinth, written some 40 years later, that little Corinthian church never quite got itself together. Yet, we are left with Paul's legacy of those letters and very particularly with this stunning opening section from 1 Corinthians. And maybe that's finally the gift of that broken church community in Corinth to all of us. And it is what I now leave with you. God's folly, the cross of Christ, the life that transcends death and defeat, if only we open ourselves to that. There is really nothing greater for me to have offered to you over these decades because I am a justification preacher who stands in utter awe of that grace. Now, a bit of a postscript before I bring this to a completion. In 2004, I spent three days out on Shelter Island, New York, 
in conversation with Robert Capon and enjoying the hospitality that he and his wife Valerie offered to me. He was at the time coming off a very rough year that had landed him in the hospital for an extended period of time in the hospital for the very first time in his adult life. He was then, in 2004, 78 years old, and for the first time in his life, really, really feeling his age. Among, uh, along with being a, a theologian, he was also a renowned food writer, four different books on cooking and food and feasting. And he was a marvelous cook. Yet he'd lost almost all of his sense of taste and smell, which is a kind of a heartbreak. And in the midst of our conversations, all of which I faithfully recorded on this little tiny cassette recorder, he said to me, this has been a year for me to realize that I'm not getting this. I'm not called upon to get this. I'm not called upon to improve. I'm not called upon to get better. And in the toils of the medical establishment, you are always told that you will get better, you must get better, you can get better, and so on. And I don't have to. I'm not going to get better permanently. Nobody is. I'm going to end up dead permanently. But his death, he told me, his death was to be held utterly safe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I had to ask myself, Robert said, I had to ask myself after a rough year like the one I've been through, do I believe all of this stuff I've been preaching and writing about for all these years? Do I believe it? Yeah, I decided that I really do. And yes, I say to all of you, I have decided that I really do. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to keep affirming that these past 20 years. May you all be deeply blessed by God's folly and continue to be nurtured by the foolishness of preaching regardless of who stands in this spot. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.